0: cloudier than it's been, isn't it? Well, good morning, everybody. It's a little darker and cloudier than it's been, isn't it? It's kind of weird this morning. I thought, did I wake up in the wrong place? (laughs) Well, one of our former ministers, Jim Donovan, who was with us, I think, 18 years as our senior minister, told a story that I heard him tell more than once, but it always made a huge impression on me, and y'all may have heard it before. But it's basically about uh, a lady was uh, getting ready for some kind of big, I think maybe a holiday dinner, and they were having ham. And uh, so her young daughter was watching her prepare this ham for the holiday dinner, and she noticed her mom cut the, the end off the ham on both ends and put it in the pan. And she goes, why would you cut the, the ends off? And she says, I don't know. My mama always did it, so that's why I do it. And she goes, Yeah, but why did she do it? She goes, I don't know. She just always did it. Why don't you call grandma and ask her why she did it? So she got on the phone and said, Grandma, I just saw mama cutting the ends off the ham. And and, and I'm trying to figure out. She said, You did it. That's why she did it. She goes, I don't know. My mama did it too. I just have always done it that way because that's what my mama did. She goes, Well, but why? She goes, I told you because my mama did She goes, We call great grandmother and ask her why she did it. So she got on the phone and she calls great grandmother. She goes, I just talked to mom, and she's cutting the ends off the ham, and I talked to grandma, and I'm talking to you. Why do y'all cut the hands? She goes, I don't know why they did it, but it wouldn't fit in my pan. That's why I did it. <laughs> now, it's not only a funny story, but it reminds me, it, it has an impact on me because it reminds me of the power of questions. Questions help us find out, and kids are always asking questions, and sometimes we tell them, stop. It's just the way it is, but sometimes we go, I don't know, and we have to try to figure out questions and answers to things like that. But asking questions can bring new truths. They can bring new discoveries into our lives as to to why we do things, but they also allow us, when we don't ask them, to miss out on a lot of discoveries and a lot of truths when we don't ask questions. Well, in the Gospels... Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, I know y'all know the first four books of the New Testaments. All of these are accounts of Jesus' life written from four different perspectives, four different people. But did you realize that in those Gospels, Jesus asked 183 questions in the Gospels? I was kind of blown away by that. I was kind of embarrassed as a preacher. I didn't know. I was like, that's a lot. I wouldn't have thought it was that many. But what really blew me away, and probably will uh, as you as well, do you realize that Jesus asked over 307 questions in the Gospels. So what that tells us about questions is is that Jesus used that deliberately. There was a teaching method to challenge people to discover, to ask these hard questions, to discover answers to life's most difficult questions, and Jesus used that over and over again. Now, yes, a lot of people will say, yeah, well, that was just part of the rabbinic teaching. That's how they taught in the Jewish culture. That's how rabbis taught. You know, if you ask a rabbi, why do you ask questions? And he goes, what's wrong with a question? He'll always come back with a question. But Jesus did so in a way through his teaching and especially his parables that a lot of times left people with more questions than they had answers. Have you ever noticed that in the Bible? Sometimes Jesus will say to me, go, what was he saying there? He didn't answer that person's questions, he just asked a series of more questions, and it kind of makes you think. And maybe you've had people in your life maybe a, a teacher, maybe a parent, maybe a grandparent who, when you ask a question, they would ask you a question back and it would frustrate you, but it was you knew the reason behind it is they were trying to get you to think for yourselves instead of just get the answers. Now, some questions we call close ended questions, they often hit hint. hint or imply that the answer for us. For instance, if a family member comes home, I noticed somebody today did this at church. Somebody came, wasn't a family member, but it was a church family member, and they say, they come home from getting a new hairstyle, and they will ask you Goes, and you can tell they're very excited about their new hairstyle, and you'll say, don't you like my new hairstyle? Well, there is an implied answer there isn't. And you want to make sure that you answer that in the way they desire, or else that might be problematic. Now, there's also open-ended questions, and sometimes these are questions that don't imply an answer. They just really are saying, like, for instance, how do you feel today? And there's open-ended. It can be a lot of things. You can explain exactly why you feel, how you feel, all those kind of things. That is an open-ended question. But these questions sometimes, they don't imply an answer or seek to limit an answer. But open-ended questions also can send us on a journey where we are self-reflecting, on a journey where we're trying to discover an answer. And a lot of times that's what questions do. And sometimes a question can be an open or closed-ended depending on the situation or depending on the person asking So let's let's say I'm at Home Depot and I'm looking for something in particular and I'm wandering up and down the aisles and a sales associate goes, this guy's lost, he doesn't know what he's looking for. So he'll say, what are you looking for? And I hear the voice and I see it's got the orange apron on and I'll say, well, I'm looking for this and they will be able to answer that question immediately. But let's say I'm standing, I think I'm standing alone at the beach. Have you ever done this? You stand at the beach and you're just watching the waves. Or maybe you're sitting in a chair at the beach and, you're th- and there's nobody else around. I don't know how many of y'all enjoy doing that. But you just sit there and you just watch the waves and you think about God's wonder. And you think about your life and you might be thinking about, I don't know, the changes I need to make in my life, pondering my life. What is my legacy going to be? What have I done with my life? And you're thinking about all these things. And all of a sudden you hear a voice behind you say, what are you looking for? That's a much different question than the guy with the orange apron in it. Because you are looking for something, but how do you put that into words, that particular question? Well, Wayne Cordero tells this interesting story along these lines about whether someone meant it as an open or closed-ended question. He says, many years ago in Russia, a rabbi was living there, and this rabbi was frustrated with his life. He was frustrated with the direction of where he was going, how his ministry was going, and he went out for a, a, a long walk trying to contemplate uh, where he was going in his life, the purpose, the direction. And it was very cold in Russia, and he's wandering this cold evening through the empty streets, and he's questioning even his faith in God. He's questioning the validity of Scriptures. He's questioning whether his own calling to ministry is even real. So he's questioning a lot of things as he walks. And the only thing colder, Cordero says, than the bitter Russian air was actually the coldness that had entered into his soul. And as he was caught up in, this, in his deep thoughts and questions about his life and the direction and purpose of his life, he mistakenly wandered into a Russian military compound that was absolutely off limits to civilians. And as he wanders and he's kind of staring at the ground with his hands in his pocket pondering his life, he is startled in the silence of the night by a Russian soldier saying, what, who are you and what are you doing here? And he's startled by that. And the rabbi replies, excuse me? And again, the soldier barked out, "'Who are you, and why are you, what are you doing here?' <clears throat> After a pause, the rabbi, in a friendly voice, and as so not to incite, the soldier says, "'How much do you get paid every day?' And the soldier says, "'What does that have to do with you?' And with the delight of someone who's made this great new discovery, the rabbi responded, "'I will pay you that same amount "'if you will ask me those same two questions every day.'" Who are you and what are you doing here? Now that, that uh, Russian soldier wanted an answer right then. But it was interesting that this rabbi needed to hear those questions as more of an open-ended question. So it's kind of an interesting story. And some of you are going, what? What did that mean? You're still thinking about it, aren't you? That's the beauty of it. That's how it is. But the soldier was not asking an open-ended question. He wanted a direct answer of who are you and why are you going in here? You're not supposed to be in here. But the rabbi heard them or he chose to hear them as something else to try to discover to himself, where is my life going? What is my purpose? Have I lost that? So for the next few weeks, we're going to look at some of those, not all of those, 307 questions that Jesus asked in the Gospels. But I hope that as we look at those, we can reflect on who the question was asked to, why it was asked, the context of that question. And then we're going to also hopefully see where that question might have an impact on us in our own lives today. So we're going to start today with the very first questions that we find recorded in the Gospels. And this is Jesus' very first question that he asked. I know there's Matthew, Mark, Luke, but in Luke, Luke lets us know about a question that Jesus asked when he was 12 years old. So this may be a very familiar passage. We're going to read Luke chapter 2, verses 41 through 52. Hopefully that will be up there for us. There it is. Thank you. So Luke lets us know this, that every year Jesus' parents um, went out to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover... And when he was 12 years old, they went up to the festival according to the custom. And after the festival was over, while his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but they were unaware of it. Thinking he was in their company, they traveled on for a day, and they began looking for him among their relatives and friends. And when they did not find him, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. And after three days, they found him in the temple court, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. Everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother said to him, son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. And Jesus responds, how? In a question. Why were you searching for me? He asked. Didn't you know that I had to be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he was saying to them. Now, he's not saying Something to them. He's asking them something, but they don't understand it. Then he went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them, but his mother treasured all these things in her heart. And Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. Interesting, isn't it? So the very i never thought about that before. The very first time we hear Jesus ask a question is when he was 12 years old, and he asked two questions. Every year his parents are going to Jerusalem. This was something they did every year, like clockwork. The, the Passover feast was a huge, huge deal in the culture of the Jewish people. So when he was 12, according to that custom, he'd been doing this since he was a baby. They knew every year we're going to Jerusalem, we're going to celebrate the Passover but after three days of looking for Jesus, he somehow gets away. I don't know where their mind was. I don't know, you know what was going on. But we all know those moments where we've lost a child, and it's scary, isn't it? They were right there. What happened? I turned my back for a second. But this went on for three days, you can imagine. And then they find Jesus listening to the teachers, and again, he's asking them questions. And everyone's amazed, not only at his understanding of scriptures and being able to answer questions, but the questions that he is asking. And so when Mary and Joseph show up and find him there, Mary asks, Son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Why were you searching for me? Does that sound disrespectful to you all? You don't want to say, yes, because it's Jesus, right? But he was 12, and he was growing in wisdom and stature. I don't know. Was that disrespectful? I don't think so. He really is asking a question, going, why were you looking for me? You didn't make sure I was with you from the beginning? I don't know exactly what his question meant, but it did offer a lot of things to think about. So I asked the question, what was Jesus saying to his parents in those questions? Did you forget about my purpose? Did you forget about who I am? Didn't you realize you heard the angels? Both of you did. You knew why I came into this world. You know how I was born. You know how all that went. You know how many times we've moved. You know all that went into my birth. So why does this surprise you that I would be here answering questions among the rabbis in my father's house? For 12 years, they've been coming to the Passover feast. That was the custom. That's what we do. We've always done that. That's what we will always do as part of our family and a part of our people. But what if Jesus is thinking it's not about the custom or the festival as much as it is about the relationship with God? Maybe Jesus, at 12 years old, is starting to see. We've done this every single year. Maybe he sees it becoming more of a ritual. And he knows the reasoning behind the Passover feast, how important it is to celebrate God redeeming the people out of slavery in Egypt and the blood on the doorpost and how the the angel went over and only those who had the blood on their doorpost, their firstborn would be spared. This was the redeeming and how they escaped out of Egypt those many, many years ago. And all of that, maybe for the first time, and I don't know how much... Jesus' thinking developed as he moved on. But the scripture, Luke, tells us that it did develop. He did develop. But maybe he's seeing something in here. And for maybe the first time at 12, he's really into the Passover. And he wants to talk to the uh, rabbis about this. And his parents just pack up and leave and start going down the road and, and just don't really make sure that he's with them. So if it was true that Jesus as verse 40 tells us, says he grew and became strong. He was filled with wisdom and the grace of God was upon him. And then in verse 52, he grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. Maybe at 12, Jesus had grown to realize that this Passover, this Passover feast was part of this old covenant that he knew at age 12, in 21 years, I'm going to fulfill this, this old covenant. There's going to be a new covenant. I'm going to be sitting at a Passover meal just like we just did. And I'm going to be telling my disciples that there's a new covenant now. And I'm the fulfillment of that new covenant. Did Jesus know that at 12 years old? I don't know the answer to that. But something inside of him made him want to sit down and talk about this after this feast. How would he fulfill it? Well, we know he would establish a new covenant. He said in his blood. What did we just celebrate here together this morning? Communion. We took a piece of bread that Jesus said, take this piece of bread. This is my body. This is a new covenant. Take this cup, this blood, this juice, this wine. This is my blood that is for you. And it's not just going to get rid of the slavery for Egypt. It's not just going to allow for one night the, the, the angel to pass over the firstborn for just people in Israel. But now it says this new covenant will save all of humanity from their sins. And their death, eternal separation from God. Luke possibly, and I think that he must have absolutely sat down with Mary and said, Tell me about Jesus tell me how the birth went cuz we know that from Luke right we'll read that in a few months at christmas time but i wonder how that interview went when luke was sitting there with mary he goes yeah okay tell me about how he grew up how was he as a teenager and i have to believe that mary goes well there was this one time during the passover and she tells this story and this may be an embarrassing a little bit for mary if you think about it cuz it's the time where we lost jesus and i have to admit i was a bad mom that for 3 days i just completely forgot where my son was And then she talks about looking all over the place, and I can imagine she goes, we were frantic, Joseph and I. We couldn't imagine what had happened. We knew that God had something special, and he put put Jesus in our care, and we lost him. We don't know where he is. Did a Roman soldier get him? Did someone kidnap him? What happened? And then they finally find him (coughs) sitting among the rabbis, asking questions and, and answering their questions. And I would imagine that Jesus... Again, it seemed disrespectful when he says, why were you looking for me? But what lessons might there be in Jesus' questions for his parents that day? I think there's something. Do we look at his parents who got caught up in the holiday event and say, the lesson there is don't lose your kid. You know, is that what we're looking for? Kind of like Home Alone or something. We watch that whole movie and it's funny and we go, oh, I can't believe that happened. But as you watch that movie Home Alone, if you know what I'm talking about, you go, that could happen in our house because it's chaos. You've been on trips maybe with grandkids and parents and all that, and there's all these kids and trying to get everybody, and invariably you leave something, but losing someone, the thought of that. But is that the lesson? I don't think so. It seems to be something deeper that Jesus is asking here. We too can get caught up in the rituals, in the traditions, and the things that we have always done as part of worship, as part of the church. And we can get caught up in our jobs, and our careers, and our families, and our life, the ball games what the dogs are doing, what the Falcons are doing, what the Braves are doing, our hobbies, our interests, in the things of our lives. And in the process, we lose Jesus. Not that any of those things are necessarily bad in and of themselves. Ball games are not bad. Hobbies are not bad. Obviously, the church, the bride of Christ, is not bad. But we can get so caught up in our things that we lose Jesus. And sometimes it can take us days. Sometimes it can take us weeks or months or maybe even longer to realize Where is Jesus? He's gone. How did I miss that? Why is he not here? Where did he go? We can be going along in our lives and just doing what we do and heading on to our next thing and it hits us one day. Where is Jesus? There's a sense inside of us that Jesus is not with me. I feel empty. And maybe it takes some sort of dramatic event in our life to realize where is Jesus? Maybe it's a A broken marriage or relationship with one of our kids or our parents or a friend. Maybe a a major career change. Maybe a a job loss, a financial disaster. Maybe a, a health issue to us or our spouse or a loved one or a friend. Or maybe even a tragedy or death before we realize, where is Jesus? And when we realize he's been missing for some time in those dramatic events of our life, we start to backtrack. Where was Jesus last? Where did you see him last? Where did I see him last? I think he was at church. But let's backtrack. And maybe panic sets in as we can't find him. But at some point we find him. And when we do, maybe we find him and our first reaction is to scold him just like Mary did. Why have you treated me like this, Jesus? Where have you been? I've been anxiously searching for you. Where were you? And I think Jesus would answer us in that very same question. In the same way he did to Mary, that would stop us in our tracks. Why were you searching for me? Did you not know that I had to be in my father's house? Jesus didn't leave us, we left him just like his parents did. And we didn't even realize it until what? And we didn't even realize it till when? And we didn't even realize it till why? Now, if you think this is leading up to a theme about getting in church and staying here and being here all the time and being more involved in church, that is not what this lesson is about. It's about, really, if you think about it, when we decide to become a Jesus follower, he calls us to leave our old life, doesn't he? To put that behind. And stop depending on ourselves, stop depending on our finances and our money and our careers and our talents and our gifts and our wisdom and to die to our old way of life. We are then baptized into Christ, into Christ. And now Christ lives in me. He lives in you. Jesus doesn't live in this building, does he? Kind of growing up, sometimes we kind of tell, okay, that's God's house. And you think, God lives there. But God doesn't live in a house any more than he lived in the temple. Jesus doesn't live in this building. And Jesus doesn't live in a certain type of worship service. Whether it's this one or the one after us or the ones that will be in the future. He doesn't live in a certain type of song or tradition or program that we might do in this place or at another church. Jesus lives in people. He dwells in me and he dwells in you. He never leaves us. We leave him. You know, it's like the story of the old couple and they're sitting in their uh, pickup truck one day driving down the road and the lady says, and she looks over and they're real far apart. He's against the door driving and she's against the door and she goes, look at us. And he's like, what? Look at us. When we first got married, we, I used to be right there beside you. What has happened to us? Look at us. And he goes, I haven't gone anywhere. <laughs> and I think Jesus a lot of times says that to us. Why were you looking for me everywhere? I'm in Everything. I'm in you. You're the one that leaves and forgets about me. And I think this is the lesson that maybe Jesus was saying. I don't think Mary and Joseph were mad at Jesus after his questions. I think that's just the reaction that we as parents, when we see our kids, it's just that reaction. Why didn't you tell us where you were? Didn't you know we were worried, sick about you? That's just a natural reaction of a parent. But Jesus stopped Mary and Joseph, and he stops us in our tracks and goes, I'm exactly where I'm supposed to be. You're the one that was off doing other things. You're the one that needs to get more focused. And I think Mary and Joseph both thought about that. And he was obedient. You notice that Luke makes sure. Because I'm sure in that conversation, in that interview with Mary, she goes, no, he wasn't being disrespectful, Luke. I know it sounds that way, but he wasn't. He was never disrespectful. He was never disobedient to us. But that day did something to me and Joseph, reminded us of who Jesus really was in our relationship with God. He never leaves us. So we need to allow Christ to dwell and live in us, to take him with us everywhere we go in every aspect of our life. When we walk out of here, he doesn't just stay here and go, see you later, Jesus, I'll see you next week. Oh, wait a minute, I'll see you Wednesday. Or I'll see you at Bible saying, no, Jesus is with us always. And that's why communion is important, to physically eat, to put in our body the, the bread and the, and the cup, Christ's body, his blood that forgives us, that saves us and restores us. And gives us the life that God always intended us to have. So I hope that question, why were you looking for me? Didn't you know I'd be about my father's business? Is something that we can take today and think about. Maybe we've left Jesus in our lives. Maybe right now we're looking for him and we're wondering. Why isn't he showing himself? And he's saying, I've been there all along. I've been there all along. So this morning we come to a time where I I like to always as we always offer some sort of an invitation. Maybe it's just a challenge. Maybe everybody has already found Jesus, but if you need to find Jesus today, we offer that opportunity for you to say yeah, I'm lost without him. And I want to be baptized into him and take him with me always. And if you need to do that, day we're going to offer that invitation. Or maybe you're looking for a church home where we recognize this is a building where we meet. And it's an important place. And meeting is important. But Jesus does not live here. We come together to remind ourselves by taking communion, by seeing other people being baptized, that he is literally in us. And as we leave this place, he dwells in us. And we take him with us everywhere we go. We need to be reminded of that today. So if anyone has a decision today, looking forward to maybe be baptized for the first time, accept Jesus for the first time, or join this church for the first time, we offer that as Mike comes and leads us right now. Let's stand together.